0: Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Nahmuduhu wa nasalli Allah Rasulullah al-Kareem. Ammaabad. Alhamdulillah, tonight is the 25th of January in the year 2023. And alhamdulillah, we moved on to the 37th night that we're going through the exalted and dear life of the Eminent Companion. Sayyidina Anas ibn Malik And we spent quite a few sessions taking a glimpse into his love of the glorious deed of Salah. So with regards to the fasting of this most noble man, it would suffice to mention at this point that he was often seen performing this deed until his old age. And I'll mention that at the relevant time. So that he lived on for a to a grand old age. And he still persisted with his fasting. The following, however, is a most informative report in this regard. So, this narration is recorded by Shaykh Al Bani Rahmatullah Ali, who graded it Hasan in Sahih Sunan al Nasai 2 484, Sahih Sunan Al Tirmidhi 1 218, and Sahih Sunan Ibn Rimajan 1 279. Sayyidina Anas, he relates, Radiyallah, a ride from Rasulullah came to us, so Wasallam. Thus I went to the Prophet and I found him having lunch. He thereupon said to me, Come and eat, O anas. I replied, I am fasting. Thus the Prophet said, Then come, and I will narrate to you about fasting. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has alleviated from the traveller half the salah. Similarly, he has alleviated from the fast the pregnant and breastfeeding woman. Mm-hmm. Anas continued, By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet said one of them or both of them, And woe to me, I how foolish of me, that I did not partake from the meal of Rasulullah. Mm-hmm. So let's look at this. So, this is an authentic report. Recorded in the blessed sunnah. So, what was the scenario? Somebody came to visit the Prophet So, Anas alerted the Prophet and he was having something to eat. So, the Prophet said, eat, O Anas. So, he goes, I'm fasting. So, straight away you realize that despite being young, he was now doing a lot of worship. In his teenage years, he was fasting. So, the Prophet didn't say, break your fast. He just mentioned something about fasting to him. And he mentioned that the Salat is half for the traveler, meaning the Salat is shortened. But then he said, Allah has given a concession that the pregnant and breastfeeding woman does not need to fast. But then Anas said, I don't know whether he mentioned both or one of them, meaning I'm not 100% certain. Then look what he said how foolish of me that i did not partake from the meal of rasulullah now why did he say that because you can keep a fast anytime but can you have a meal with the prophet anytime in other words because i made a mistake i should have ate so note you can see from this authentic report he was eager to do the ibadah of almighty allah on the theme of fasting we have the following informative report on the authority of Shaddad ibn Aus who said, Rasulullah, he came across a man who was being cooked in Ramadan. Thus, he said, The fast of the kuppa and the cooked is broken. This is in Nasai, number 3138, Abu Dawood, number 2369, Ibn Majah, number 1681. Ahmad in his Musnad, number 1712, Ibn Hiban, number 3533. Shaykh al-Bani, Rahmatullah states, Sahih, in Irwa Ur-Ghalil, number 931. So in this flawless report, in the sunnahs, who was getting cooked? There was, a, there was two men. One was cooking, and one was the one who was being cooked. The Prophet sallallahu said, they both broke their fast. Mm. So this was during the month of Ramadan. Mm. However, Anas, he explained something here. The first time that cooking was disapproved for the fasting person was when Ja'afar ibn Abi Talib الله, had himself cooked whilst he was fasting. Thus, the Prophet came across him and said, Both of them have broken their fast. But after this, the Prophet allowed cooking for the fasting person. Indeed, Anas would have himself cooked whilst he was fasting. This is in Darukutni 2-182. He stayed strong. All the narrators are reliable, and there is not known that it has any defect. So this is a classic example of a direct text from the Prophet and a companion apparently doing something different. So, what does that tell you? It tells you that for you to understand the hadith of the Prophet, you got to turn to the saab. So if you go directly to the Hadith, you would go around telling people, if you f- cope in the month of Ramadan, the one who's coping you, he's broke his fast and the one who's cooked and you're quoting correctly. The Prophet did say that, that, but is that the ruling? So Anas in this authentic report in Daed he explained the context of the Hadith because that was Jafar. And this was the early period. But after that, what did he say? The Prophet allowed coping for the fasting person. Mm. Meaning it was an early command. And Anas himself, when he was fasting, he would cope. Mm. This proves that the initial command was abrogated. This is the view of the majority of scholars, including three of the Imams. Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Malik, and Imam Shafi, refer to Nail al awtar 4-275 for further details. So think about that. This is again an example. So note Anas, what do you now what do we now learn about him? He was also an, an Alim. <laughs> he knew the background for the various reports of the Prophet. And this this is a sign of the alim. He knows the context. So it's very easy to quote hadiths, but how many of us know the context? So you know, let me mention a hadith. The Prophet he's uh, he instructed uh, he said to a person, he goes, the believer is not stung from the same hole twice. Say hadith. When did he say it? And this was after the Battle of Uhud. Why? Because a man was released after Badr. He had no means to pay a ransom. And he goes, I won't come back, yet, uh, O Muhammad, if you let me free. So the Prophet goes, do you give me your word? He goes, yes. But in the next encounter, he came back. He was caught again, even though the Battle of Uhud was lost. And the Prophet executed him. And he said those words. So the context. The faqee always knows the context. And if you ask any person, what's the context? I haven't got a clue. So why are you giving fatwa? You're quoting something from the Prophet which is authentic. He said it. When did he say it? Who did he say it to? Was he talking to an individual? Is it abrogated? And all of those questions, you get that glazed look. Glazed look. And that's why the Imams, the Imams are there to help you. You don't need to do any, you know, research of your own. And here's a classic example. And I've heard people say that in Ramadan, you break your fast if you cook. You know, they still persist with it. And then you say, why are you giving fatwa? Because the Prophet said it. Because it's his fatwa. And now they're lying about the Prophet. And he goes, it wasn't his fatwa. It was an early command. Who said that? Hans. Then the command an even more preposterous table. We follow the Prophet. So how preposterous is that? 1,400 years later, you're following the Prophet and the ones who were sitting and his direct students weren't. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> right? And they don't even realize what's coming out of their mouth sometimes, astagfirullah. <laughs> Let's turn to his rever- reverence for the holy book. In Imam Ahmad in his Musnat, Imam Sayyuti in his Al-Itqan, volume 2, page 176, Anas said, When someone had learned Surah Al-Baqarah and Surah Ali Imran, he was regarded very highly in our eyes. So again, strange. Another strange report. Why? Because I, You know, youngsters who know these two surahs by heart. So the response is, Is that what Anna said? He didn't say that. When someone had learned Surah Al-Baqarah and Surah Ali Imran, he was regarded very highly. In, he didn't say it by heart. So what was he intending by that? The reason for this is as the venerable Tabi'i Abdul Rahman Sulmi Rahmatullah said, Those who used to teach the Qur'an, such as Uthman ibn Affan, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud and others, had informed us, they did not proceed any further with their lessons until they had learned 10 verses from Rasulullah and until they had received all knowledge and practical applications related to it. Recorded by Imam Suyuti Rahmatullah in his al itqan volume 2, page 176. Now what do you think? Nobody's doing that. If somebody goes to you, I know a person who's learned a few pages of the Quran. We would think, is that it? But then he goes, have finished. But he's living it. What do you mean he's living it? He knows all about those verses. He understands them. He's imbibed them. He's got them into his life. This is what Anas was referring to. If somebody had learned Surah Al-Baqarah and Ali Imran, he was very highly regarded in our eyes. So what were the senior companions teaching? Because we learned 10 verses from the Prophet. 10. He goes, we did not continue until we received all knowledge and application of it. Where are these Hafiz? Think about that. Forget about that. They don't even know what they're learning. <laughs> right? Because what well, do you learn Bakr. What's the middle verse? I'm not clue who I ask me that for. Right. Go and check it. <laughs> it was for this reason that it is related. Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Umar took eight years to memorize Bakr. This is recorded by Imam Malik in his Muwatta, Imam Suyuti in his Al-Itqan, volume 2, page 176. So again, trick question. Just ask a person, say brother, I know this man. And It took him eight years to learn Baqarah. Watch how they react. These buffoons, right? Eight years. <laughs> I know a half his who learned the entire Quran in six months. Are you gonna ask me who that man is? <laughs> well, he must be a buffoon, but who is it? Umar, <laughs> <laughs> Next minute. You did a trick question. You did what well, you just jumped? <laughs> then, then they start saying, Oh, did he have a poor memory? <laughs> And then you go, stop talking. Why did it take him a years to learn Bakara? Because he was living Bakara. He knew everything about it. What do you know about Bakara? Those no other than Anas. He went on to clarify, dear Lord. Learn as much as you want to learn. But Allah shall not reward you for it until you practice on your knowledge. Noted well, whilst the objective of the true scholars when acquiring knowledge is to remember I am practice, the objective of foolish people when acquiring knowledge is simply to relate it to others I without putting it into practice. Recorded by Hafiz ibn Abdul Bar in his Jami Bayan al Ilm, volume 2, page 6, Hayat al Sahaba, volume 4, page 793 of the New English Translation. So, Anas is teaching you. He goes, learn what you want. If you don't act upon it, you're wasting your time. Mm. In fact, it's a proof against you. <laughs> then he said, now look what he said, the true scholars. Why? Because there's faith scholars. Mm. The true scholars, they remember and their objective is to put it into practice. Mm. That's an alim. Mm. He goes, the foolish people, they learn just to tell others. Mm. In fact, that's the opening line. Have you heard the hadith, brother? Mm. A classic opening statement showing this is an idiot, and he goes, Which are these? And then you think, Well, you mentioned that last year, you're still not doing it, right? So, what did Anas call that person a fool? So, who are the alims they've imbibed now? You go and in fact, we encourage it. Where's this guy studied? So the way you're encouraging it. What's he going to start saying? Eight years here, six years here. Five. I don't give a monkey's. Mm-hmm. He could have to be 30 years. Mm-hmm. Is he acting upon his knowledge? Mm-hmm. No. Then what's that then? Mm-hmm. In fact, shaitan's got a better deal. Mm-hmm. Right? He got much more knowledge than you. He didn't act upon it. So I should be giving him credit according to your standard. Astaghfirullah. Mm-hmm. Subhanallah, such was the veneration, the companions had for the Quran and knowledge. Mm-hmm. Now, everything stops you people recite the entire Qur'an they boast about not making a mistake in the recital and they haven't got a single part in their life hmm. this is the sign of Kamath, Sheikh Hamza mentions that it's one of the signs of the hour is people will be obsessed with recital every other channel you put on, Islamic channel rec- once called recite <laughs> They and every time I put it I think, why is this program always on? and the guy's doing tajweed they give like you know, this guy must be, you know, he must have Judas <laughs> all. The jweed after the jweed. What with signs? Whenever you put it on and they actually explain in Quran. <laughs> he goes, Look, this is these verses and we're going to go into it. When I explain these verses, it's very important to get into your life. We'll break it down as best as possible. Another cop out which people put is the Quran's too deep. And the people who say that, this is what baffles me. One guy said that he's got a PhD. So I looked at him. I thought, I felt like I sang it to him. I goes, but I didn't I thought if I say he's gonna take it the wrong way because you got a PhD. So what you rattling on about, that means that you basically I, what you should say is it's not a priority for me. But I mean, nobody likes saying that. Go to any person and say, Brother, look, you can deceive me, but is the Quran a priority? And then they'll say, Of course it is, brother. <laughs> say, Brother, one day. You have to impress me. If it was a priority, then why aren't you learning? What Allah, Allah is telling you? <laughs> it's not a priority. Right? And now you're in deep trouble. Why? Need Surah Al-Furqan. Mm. Compare this to the frail boasting of those who have memorized the entire Quran and they boast about the shortest possible time. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive, forgive and guide us. I mean, wow. think about that. It's like, a, it's like a race, na? He goes, I know a person who learned the Quran in eight months. He goes, I know somebody who beat him. And you go, it's not a race, brother. What are you racing to learn the Quran for? Qatada Rahmatullah <laughs> alayhi, he said, When Anas ibn Malik anhu would complete the Quran, he would gather his family and make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is recorded by Imam Nawi in his Al Tibyan fi adab hamalat al Quran, page 93 of the English translation. He states, Ibn Abi Dawud relates it with two sahih chains. So in this lawless report, what was the sunnah of Anas? When he would complete the Quran and it was frequent. Not like, two two in a year, (laughs) everybody bump. Two khatams of the Quran. And the guy actually boasted, you gotta get two khatams in brother." So when Anas would complete the Quran, he'd get all his family and don't forget, there weren't two or three. There were thousands. So it was like a I don't know what you call it, you know, was it a party? Right? You know, you get all these, you know, khandan together and then make dua. <laughs> Clarifying further. Abdullah ibn Abbas he would make a person watch over someone finishing the Quran. And when he wanted to finish, he would inform ibn Abbas so he would participate in it. This is in, <laughs> in Darimi ibn Abi Dawood, Imam Nawi in his Al-Tibyan Fi Adab Hamalat Al-Quran page 93 of the English Translation. So Tarjamanul Quran, the interpreter of the Quran, the cousin of the Prophet he would have spies. And these spies' job was to find out anybody finishing the Quran. And when they brought the news back, he would rush to join in the dua. Meaning it's not just for family. You should try to incorporate yourselves. Why? Because Humayr al-A'raj said, Whoever recites the Quran and then supplicates, 4,000 angels say Ameen to his du'a. <laughs> this is in Darimi in his Sunan, number 3,484. Imam Nawi in his Al-Tibyan Fi Adab al Quran, page 93 of the English translation. So note, Hamid wasn't talking about the completion of the Quran. He just said, whoever recites the Quran. So it's a sunnah to do du'a after reciting the Quran. How many angels say Ameen? One is enough. You have know, 4,000. <laughs> I think about that. 4,000. If you invite 4,000 saints to say ameen to a dua, what's going to happen? But the saints can commit sin. Angels can't. 4,000 sinless beings are saying ameen to your dua. Those Irbad ibn Sariyah, He relates that our beloved Messenger said, Whoever finishes his obligatory prayer, then his dua will be accepted. And whoever finishes a reading of the Qur'an, his dua will also be accepted. Mm-hmm. This is in Tabarani in his Mariful Mariful hadith volume 3, page 125 of the New English Translation. So there's two auspicious times according to this hadith of the Prophet One is after the Fardh. There's an auspicious time to make dua, it'll be answered. So you make a dua after the Fardh. The only thing the scholars discuss is whether you should do it in the congregation. Don't worry about it, just make dua. Right? <laughs> like people obsessed with fiqh, right? Just make dua in it. <laughs> secondly whoever finishes a reading of the quran his dua is accepted the prophet said so he's confirming mm-hmm. obey ibn Iqab, he said whenever Rasulullah recited surah al-nas completing the quran he would immediately recite surah al fatiha then al-baqarah to al Muflihun, surah 2 verse 5 mm-hmm. This is in Darimi, it's Hasan, Imam Sayyuti in his Al-Itqan volume 1, page 282. So this is the Sunnah of the Prophet When you get to the end of the Qur'an, you don't finish. Some people finish. They get to Nas, they stop. You're not sinful, but you've left the Sunnah. The Prophet then went right to the beginning again. He would read Fatiha, then Baqarah to Ula'ika Alahu min Rabbihim Wa Ula'ika Humul Muflihun Then he'd stop. Mm -hmm. Why would he stop there? We don't need to know the Prophet teaching you something. Mm -hmm. Our beloved messenger had gone on to clarify upon this when questioned as to what is the most virtuous deed. And he said, He went on to explain. It is that fortunate decider who completes the Quran. And after the end, he starts it again from the beginning. This is in Tirmidhi number 2948. So the Prophet said something very interestingly. When he was asked what is the most virtuous deed, he used a phrase which even the Sahaba didn't understand. He goes, Al-Hal wal So what does that mean? Sheikh Muhammad Zakariya rahmatullah alayhi explained in his Fazaylis Sadaqa, page 87 of the English translation, the Arabic word Al-Hal means he who reaches a halting place the word al-murdhil means the one who departs so what did the prophet ﷺ say is the most virtuous deed so what does that translate into is the one who reaches us a, a station where he stops but then he departs so if you take it literally this is what the prophet said is the most virtuous deed get to the station where you're supposed to stop, then start the journey again. He went on to explain that it's the Qur'an. So now think about that. What is the most virtuous deed to recite the entire Qur'an? Allah loves that too much. But you have to start the Qur'an again. Otherwise it's not the most virtuous deed. In fact, it mentions that if a person stops at Nas, Shaitan breathes a sigh of relief. Why? Because... You finish the Qur'an. But when you start the Qur'an again, he starts grieving. He goes, he's starting again. So even logically, why are you making Shaitan happy? He doesn't like the Qur'an. So when you're reciting it, you get to the end. Start again. And notice, when you're doing the tarabi, people find this strange. You notice the last two rakats of tarabi, and everybody gets really confused because the Imam gets to Nas, he finishes the Qur'an, there's one rakat left. And everybody thinks, oh, he forgot. There's one rakat. But in the last raqat, he starts the Quran again and he finishes muflihun to follow the Sunnah of the Prophet had not our beloved Messenger said to act slowly is best in everything except in the deeds which are done for the hereafter. Subhanallah. This is in Abu Dawud, Hakim and Udus. Shaykh al-Bani r.a. states Sahih in Sahih ul-Jan number 3009. So look how beautiful. We are people who are taught to do things with deliberation. Don't rush. Haste makes waste. That's what the people say, which is true. But the Prophet said, Allah, he fine-tuned it. He goes, to act with deliberation is best in everything, except in the deeds which are done for the hereafter. So for instance, you don't start saying, I'm going to do Hajj. because so what do you mean? Because when I get down to it, I'll be doing it. And I'm being deliberate. The Prophet said, you should be deliberate. No, he didn't. <laughs> get on with it. Because that's a deal of the akhirat. You understand? I'm going to change my life. <laughs> that's a classic one. Change your brother, right? You know brother. But a few loose ends, I need to tie up. <laughs> like, and he goes, "Look, just get on with it. Also, in the azan, we're told this. Four times, what does the muazzin say? Hayya ala salah and hayya ala falah wa al he means rush. The bu'az it doesn't say take your time to salat and take your time to success. If he does, he's following Musaylim Azazan. right. So why are you told to rush? Because it's a deed of the Akhirat. In fact, it's the only deed where Allah has told you to rush. There is no Azam for the zakat. There is no Azam for the Hajj, barring the first one which Ibrahim did alayhi salatu wasalam. There is no azam for any pillar, except salah, because it's the most beloved deed. So you rush the, Mu'azzin goes, rush, stop, mm. come to success. Mm. But you got to be careful. If you say, then you're saying rush to the desert. Mm. That's probably why we're all living in desert now, is mm. So all I mentioned today, was now looking at other aspects of this most blessed man's Incredible worship. We discussed very briefly his fasting, and then I mentioned his connection to the Quran and some of the important things which our beloved Messenger mentioned in this regard. To the Are there any questions? سبحان الذي هم ذو الله هم وبحمده اشهد لا اله الا انت استغفرك سلام والحمد لله رب الذين الصالحات الحق